We've been moving through John's revelation over the past few months. We come this morning to the first 10 verses of Revelation chapter 13. There are at least two Old Testament uh, passages which loom large uh, in the background of Revelation 13, verses 1 through 10. I'm going to read one of them and will refer to both of them. So the one that we'll be reading will be Daniel chapter 7, verses 1 through 12. So in honor of God's word, please stand with your Bibles open to Daniel chapter 7, beginning in verse 1. Hear God's word. In the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel saw a dream and visions of his head as he lay in his bed. Then he wrote down the dream and told the sum of the matter. Daniel declared, I saw in my vision by night, and behold, the four winds of heaven were stirring up the great sea, and four great beasts came up out of the sea, different from one another. The first was like a lion and had eagle's wings. And as I looked, its wings were plucked off, and it was lifted up from the ground, made to stand on two feet like a man, and the mind of a man was given to it. Behold, another beast, a second one like a bear. It was raised up on one side, it had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth, and it was told, Arise, devour much flesh. After this I looked, and behold, another like a leopard, with four wings of a bird on its back, and the beast had four heads, and dominion was given to it. After this I saw in the night visions, and behold, a fourth beast, terrifying and dreadful and exceedingly strong. It had great iron teeth that devoured and broke in pieces and stamped what was left with its feet. It was different from all the beasts that were before it, and it had ten horns. I considered the horns, and behold, there came up among them another horn, a little one, before which three of the first horns were plucked up by the roots. And behold, in this horn were eyes like the eyes of a man, and a mouth speaking great things. As I looked, thrones were placed, and the Ancient of Days took his seat, and his clothing was white as snow, and the hair of his head like pure wool. His throne was fiery flames, its wheels were burning fire, A stream of fire issued and came out from before him. A thousand thousand served him, and ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court sat in judgment, and the books were opened. I looked then because of the sound of the great words that the horn was speaking, and as I looked, the beast was killed, and its body destroyed and given over to be burned with fire. As for the rest of the beasts, their dominion was taken away, but their lives were prolonged for a season and a time. Thus far in the reading of God's word, please turn to Revelation chapter 13 and continuing in the reading of God's word. I saw a beast rising out of the sea with ten horns and seven heads with ten diadems on its horns and blasphemous names on its heads. And the beast that I saw was like a leopard. Its feet were like a bear's and its mouth like a lion's mouth. And to it the dragon gave his power and his throne and great authority. One of its heads seemed to have a mortal wound. But its mortal wound was healed, and the whole earth marveled as they followed the beast. And they worshipped the dragon, for he had given his authority to the beast. And they worshipped the beast, saying, Who is like the beast, and who can fight against it? And the beast was given a mouth uttering haughty and blasphemous words. And it was allowed to exercise authority for 42 months. It opened its mouth to utter blasphemies against God, blaspheming his name and his dwelling, that is, all those who dwell in heaven. Also, it was allowed to make war on the saints and to conquer them. And authority was given to it over every tribe and people and language and nation. And all who dwell on earth will worship it. 
Everyone whose name has not been written before the foundation of the world in the book of life of the Lamb that was slain. If anyone has an ear, let him hear. If anyone is to be taken captive, to captivity he goes. If anyone is to be slain with the sword, with the sword must he be slain. Here is a call for the endurance and faith of the saints. As far in the reading of God's word, let us pray. Mighty God, as we have read, we come to the preaching and the hearing of your word, and we pray that you would open our eyes, break the stubborn heart, bring to life the dead heart, encourage and strengthen the weak one. Grant that we may go forth from this place changed by the power of your word and spirit, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. So chapters 12 through chapters 15 are really at the heart of the book of Revelation in this wild, glorious picture. We started with the birth of Christ in chapter 12. The woman clothed with the beauty of the sun, the stars around her head, the moon at her feet. Suddenly she's pregnant. She's writhing in agony and suddenly a red dragon appears out of the sky ready to pounce on the baby as soon as it's born. But the child is caught up into heaven. So the dragon turns its fury upon the offspring of the woman. And the story continues. The scene, the movie continues here in chapter 13. This is no boring Bible lesson at all. This is no boring piece of scripture by any stretch. Because now the dragon has turned its attention on the offspring of the woman and it calls up a beast out of the sea. This mighty beast comes up out of the sea. And people are terrified of it. It's given authority over all things. It's uttering blasphemy. And John says to you, you got ears? Listen up. This is a call for endurance, for faith. So speaking to a tiny little group of churches, a tiny little group of congregations in Asia Minor, minor, suffering under the persecution of the great Roman Empire, living in the very shadow of those idols, those temples that are set up to proclaim Caesar is God. Worship Caesar. Caesar is Lord. And their livelihood depends on saying that. Their life, in many occasions, depends on them acknowledging that Caesar is Lord. And living in the face of this persecution, living in the face of this conflict, John writes his revelation. He says, listen, I'm I'm, I'm an exile. I'm in prison. But in the Spirit on the Lord's day, I heard a voice. I turned around and I saw this voice and the voice said to me, write to these seven churches and show them what's going on behind the veil. Show them what reality is. That little baby in a manger is also this mighty one that the dragon will raise himself up against. 
and will do everything he can to destroy. And now we come to this beast. In the year 465, as I mentioned, I'm I'm drawing much of the content and the structure of this sermon from from, uh, Daryl Johnson's uh, commentary. I think really like the way he handles uh, these next two passages. But he, he opens with this illustration. In the year 465, there was a monk named Dionysius Exegus. And Dionysius Exegus said, we've got to have a standardized calendar. And so he came up with the calendar that you and I know today. Now, it was changed in the 1500s. But when Dionysius Exegus started his calendar in 465, March was New Year's Day. In the 1500s, New Year's Day was changed to January 1st. But he set the beginning of the calendar on the day that the angel announced Jesus Christ's conception. The day that the angel appeared to Mary. Anno Domini. The year of our Lord. You can call it common era all you want. The fact is, we're still talking Anno Domini. You can change the letters, but nobody's come up with a way to change the year back. It is whatever you want to call it. What the Western world has said now for 2,020 years, minus year 465 because it came in later, the year of our Lord's reign. And he dated it from Jesus Christ's conception. Now, as we've seen from Revelation chapter 12, the birth of Jesus Christ excites great opposition from the dragon. So not only the dragon seeks to go after the woman with that sewer flood that pours forth from out his mouth, but then also the dragon raises up this beast out of the sea. And as we look at it this morning, I want you to see the power of this beast in the first four verses, the power of this beast. And then in verses 5 through 8, the intimidating element of the beast, the intimidation that this beast brings. And then finally in verses 9 and 10, your response. The power of the beast, the intimidation of the beast, and your response. Now, John is very much moving in a world of symbols. And that's key to understanding his revelation. And it's not all that unusual for us. If you were reading a newspaper in the 1950s and you saw a picture of Uncle Sam wrestling a bear, what would you have thought? Oh, no, there's an actual bear? No, you would have said, this is the United States wrestling with the Soviet Union. This is a a political cartoon that is making reference to the Cold War. You'd use your understanding of the symbols. You look at the donkey or look at the elephant and you think, 
this political party, that political party. We, we're, we're, we're comfortable with symbols that point us to other realities. And so John draws up for us the symbol of the beast that comes up out of the earth, out of the sea, rather. And he does so, I believe, for two very specific reasons. The first is to remind you of what you've already known from Daniel chapter 7. That these are empires. These are empires that are going to be raised up. But then the Ancient of Days is the one on the throne. These are political empires that are raised up. But they're raised up in the context of the Ancient of Days is on the throne. The second thing that John is drawing our attention to here in this beast. Notice where the beast is coming from. It's a beast out of the sea. And again, we've already got that image. Leviathan, Job chapter 41, where God is declaring his might, declaring his power, and saying to Job, Leviathan, that great sea beast, I put a hook in his lip. I drag him anywhere I want him to go. Do you know how big I am, Job? And we Christians need to remember that. We Christians need to remember because, man, the political power, the political arena is very much intimidating. It is is very much a frightening thing. In response to the incarnation, this unholy trinity, of the dragon, the beast of the sea, and the beast of the land that we'll be looking at in a couple of weeks, Lord willing. This unholy trinity comes. And it can seem very intimidating. To to be set against the world. to, To have political structures that say what you are doing either should be illegal, or it is illegal, or at least you need to keep it, you know, keep keep your faith in your nice little closet. You, you You don't need to be bringing your faith into the real world. You keep your faith back where it belongs. You don't, you don't need to bring it into the marketplace. You don't need, because to do so is to be ostracized. Now that's a shallow, shallow, I mean, talking the, the baby pool of persecution that that we're increasingly witnessing in our culture and in our society today. But even in the baby pool, doesn't it sometimes feel intimidating just to be coming to church? Just to say, you know what, I'm sorry, this is essential. I am going to come and worship because I need this. And you do what you want. But this is where my, my, my grounding, my footing is found. That in itself is increasingly becoming something that the world stands against, that our society and culture stand against. This beast is genuinely intimidating. It's intimidating because, note verse 3, one of its heads appeared to receive a mortal wound, but then it was healed. 
The political systems never do die away. They're, 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 they continue to go on and on and on. And, and for Daniel's day, he identified later those beasts as, as four distinct empires. But it's not like after the Romans went away, we no longer had a great empire. We had rule Britannica. Britannica rules the ways. Eh, not so much anymore, huh? Well, now we've got the global dominance of the United States of America. And one day it's going to be not so much anymore. may very well be the global dominance of the nation of China. But you know what? One day that'll be gone too. But it does seem like this beast is always living. <laughs> it's always going and going and going in one form or another. The beast receives a mortal wound and yet it keeps on going. But the beast demands worship. I've noticed in my own lifetime what seems to me, I think it's a new thing. Those who are older than me may think it's nothing new. But it seems to me like presidents of both political parties have campaigned and have been inaugurated as Messiah, not as the leader of a political party. I remember President Obama's first inauguration speech. He said, today marks the day when the rise of the oceans will begin to recede. Like, whoa, whoa, that's some big stuff there that you're claiming on yourself. And President Trump, everybody knows that, that he is always making messianic claims. It, it's not a political party or another, but it's a, it's a constant looking to the beast, looking to the political empire, looking to the politician and saying, you got to worship me who is as great as I am. He excites this response from the people. And in turn, the beast presents himself in a very intimidating manner in verses 5 through 8. The beast was given a mouth uttering haughty and blasphemous words, and it was allowed to exercise authority for 42 months. It opened its mouth to utter blasphemies against God, blaspheming his name and his dwelling, that is, those who dwell in heaven. Also, it was allowed to make war on the saints and to conquer them, and authority was given it over every tribe and people and language and nation, and all who dwell on earth will worship it. Everyone whose name has not been written before the foundation of the world in the book of life of the Lamb that was slain. Political power turns into this beast when it says, I am ultimate. When political power no longer says, this is an instrument of God. God has given authority to those magistrates who are over us. But when those magistrates then attempt to communicate or attempt to claim for themselves their own right, divine placement, their own law coming forth from their mouth, then when they stand up against God, 
it's blasphemy. It, it turns into this beast when it claims to be the ultimate. When it is no longer acknowledging that it is a servant, a la Romans 13, but that rather Caesar is Lord. That, that implication of verse 4, the question, who is like the beast and who can fight against it, the implication of that is what? You've got to surrender. You can't stand up to this. You've got to surrender. And the activity of verse 7, allowed to make war, is to dominate. And so you see this, this, this desire for these political kingdoms, for, the, for this political beast, is for you to order your life, for you to, to, to be under its authority and under its power and influence. Now, if you've been with us for any length of time, I hope you know I'm, I, I strive not to preach political sermons. It's here in this passage, so I take it as it comes to, as, as we come to it. But there's all kinds of nuance here that needs to be made. I am not saying patriotism is a bad thing. I am not saying one political party or another political party is the right political party. I'm not saying this policy or that policy. Please hear me. I'm not saying anything specific. I'm trying to communicate what John communicates here, which is that when you see the political arena as dominating, as something that orders your life more than the gospel, then you are falling down in front of this beast. Because John gives, I mean, frankly, it's kind of a shabby beast, isn't it? It's got a little bit of bear, it's got a little bit of leopard, and it's got a little bit of lion, and it's got a head that's got a mortal wound in it. it there's a little bit of comic element to this. And he, I think he presents it that way. He presents it not only taking in the Daniel background, but he presents it in this kind of comical way to remind you of where you stand, to remind you of where your security is. And so it does elicit a response. You and I do respond. In verses 9 and 10. If anyone has an ear, let him hear. John hasn't used that phrase in a long time, has he? He used it at the end of each one of the letters to the seven churches. Now in that earlier vision, the one of chapter 12, the incarnation, what was the command there? In verse 3 of chapter 12, it was, look, behold. To stand back and look at this wondrous thing. But now, you and I are called to do some things again. Listen up. If anyone is taken captive, take captivity, he goes. If anyone is slain with a sword, with a sword who must be slain. Here is a call for the endurance and faith of the saints. 
Daniel's great vision in Daniel chapter 7 led to that vision of the Ancient of Days enthroned. Job's encounter with God in chapter 41 and the great Leviathan is God again telling Job, I am the one who is over all things. And this shift from look in chapter 12 to the action of chapter 13, this shift is for two things. One is faith. It's a call for endurance and faith. Do you believe? That's it. Do you believe? Do you believe that Jesus Christ is risen from the dead? Do you believe that he is seated at God's right hand? Do you believe that he is restraining and conquering all his and all our enemies? Do you believe that he is coming again? Do you believe that he will bring justice? Westminster Shorter Catechism, question 26. How does Christ execute the office of a king? Christ executes the office of a king in subduing us to himself, in ruling and defending us, and in restraining and conquering all his and our enemies. That's what's going on right now. Do you believe? Because I think that's where our weaknesses, our fears come in. Because this beast is real And this beast looks intimidating. And this beast is uttering blasphemous things. And this beast, this beast of the political environment is demanding our allegiance, is demanding that you and I define ourselves as I'm this party, I'm that party, I'm I'm this nationality, I'm that nationality, I'm this ethnicity, I'm that ethnicity. This beast demands it of you. You cannot live at peace with this beast. This beast is coming into our church even this day with the social justice movement. When you and I are defining one another by these labels that are out there rather than made in the image of God, A man, a woman, redeemed or not. The beast is here, brothers and sisters. And you and I are called to remember Anno Domini. The year of our Lord. He is reigning. Do you believe? The second thing, John mentions it first, but the second thing is it's a call for endurance. Endurance, that's a great word. That's a great word. Think think of what endurance means. Endurance means when you feel like quitting, you endure. Endurance means when you are out of strength, you go on. Endurance means you have that commitment that I am going to see this to the end. 
I am going to continue putting one foot in front of the other in my spiritual life. I am going to continue putting one foot in front of the other in my marriage, in my family relationships, my relationships with my workers, my, my co-workers, my relationships with my neighbors. I'm going to endure. Because this beast very much wants to see you give up. Wants your worship. Wants to see you identify yourself by its terms. This beast would delight to see a church full of Jesus-praising Christians become an extension of a political party. A church full of Jesus-praising Christians become an extension of a, polit- of a particular philosophy of education. The beast would love for that to happen. Anything that will take our focus away from the centrality and exclusivity of the gospel. The beast would love for this church to be woke. It would love for the church to be identified as those who are intersectional and intersectionally correct. The beast loves it. Because if you're not identifying yourself by Jesus Christ and his gospel alone, then you've given up to the beast. And so it's a call to endure. To keep at it. Never give one single inch. You and I must endure. You and I must press on. We can do so because we believe. Because we have that faith. Jesus is reigning. It's just cold hard truth. That's cold fact. He is reigning. And as such, I can know that in my struggle with sin, within and without, my struggle with identity, my struggle with who I am, I can know that this gospel is true because my Savior reigns. Let's pray. Almighty God and gracious Heavenly Father, this great beast that is terrifying and demands our worship is a shallow toy in your hand. This great Leviathan, you put a hook in his mouth and draw him wherever you will. Help us, Lord, to remember what is going on behind the scenes. To endure faithfully. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.